Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. episode of down the rabbit hole um obviously you haven't figured it out yet you've got me this week brandon um i'm gonna go down an interesting one it's one that came up during the the last episode that we did on michael aquino um and it's gonna be johnny gosh if you don't know who johnny gosh is johnny gosh um we'll go through it quite a bit it's very interesting story um very sad story um but there's a lot of odd oddity and weirdness that that goes along with this one so quick overview before we even get going thank you everyone for listening um thank you for staying with us through all the years i mean i was just kind of looking through because there's another one i think this is going to lead to another episode if if me and big d don't do this one together i may do this another episode alone that this one leads into um and that's the franklin the franklin cover-up or the franklin credit scandal i mean there's a it, it's got a few different names to it but i had thought that we had done that episode but then i went back and looked and i can't find it so if we did that episode it might be a lost episode but i had thought we did it but um, big d doesn't think we did and i couldn't find it so i guess we did not do that it's just one that i've researched in the past um so yeah, so Johnny Gosh, we'll get into this um, now. Um, I'm gonna, it, there's gonna be there's gonna be broad strokes because there's a lot in this that we don't know for sure. There's a lot of speculation. There's a lot of guess. There's a lot of I don't know what it is. Um, a lot, a lot of a lot. Um, so we're gonna kind of go broad strokes with this one. And I'm going to be very clear, most of this is speculation, most of this is theory, there's a lot of this. Um, We'll start off at the very beginning with what we do know, and then we'll go into 
what the theories are and some of the, the weird speculation that comes after it. Um, so John David Gosh um, was born on November 12th, 1969, and he disappeared on September 5th, 1982. He is considered one of the first, and this is the, the, there's debates on this. He really wasn't the first, you know, one of the first people to be put on a milk carton, but from what I could find, he was the first one to do it nationwide. There was another one that was before this that was only in New York where his the the missing child's face was put on a milk carton um and one of the amazing things about this is he disappeared but what happens afterwards is where it gets crazy and how his mom was actually able she she used his disappearance to make a lot of really important things happen um legality wise and everything else so yeah, and as I go into this, I started to say it a minute ago and then got sidetracked. Thank you to everyone who listens. Um, if you have any suggestions or ideas, email us at downtherh at protonmail.com or you can find me on Instagram at Mr. underscore B underscore 666. And that's Mr. spelled out M I S T E R underscore B underscore 666. So we'll get into this. So the disappearance, um, this is one too where this one kind of hits home a little bit to me because Johnny Gosh was a paper boy. He was on his way to do his paper route. My first, you know, job really was paper route. Um, I started off, um, taking paper route over from one of my, you know, friends who had had it. And my brother had one half of our neighborhood. I had the other half because it was two separate routes. Um, when my brother stopped doing his side, I took it over and actually had both of them. Um, I used that to buy my first real mountain bike. Um, my first bike that was nice. You know, I had a, a mongoose because uh, back in the day, that was the good one to have until um, I wrecked it. But, you know, it happens. Um, but this is one of those things that, you know, a lot of us, my age, and I think the generation after is when it really ended, uh, my age, a lot of us had paper routes and did stuff like this. It was one of those things, my paper route um, during the week was after school. I, I did the afternoon because it was a morning paper and an afternoon. I had the afternoon. So when I got home from school, one of the first things I had to do, um, the papers were delivered to the end of my driveway. I'd go out there. You know, get them all prepared, put them in my little ba- my 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 paperboy bags, and then I'd get on my bicycle and go ride around the neighborhood and deliver them. Um, usually during the week, um, I could get in two trips, uh, one trip for each route. During the weekend, though, when it came to the Sunday paper, um, a lot of times my parents helped me with the Sunday paper because the Sunday paper there was a lot more. People that just got the Sunday paper, so the Sunday paper, there was a lot more papers to deliver, and they were bigger because you had all the advertisements um, and everything like that. And when you got them, you had to get up early because Sunday was a morning. Um, that was the only, it was not afternoon at all. Sunday was only in the morning. Um, and you would get up, you would have to, none of the papers were stuffed. All those advertisements came separately. So you had to take out the advertisements and stuff every paper and then go out and deliver them and like I said if I did it by myself it was probably a five or six trips because I could not carry all those 
you know, as many in there as I could with the, you know, the, the weekday papers. So a lot of times my parents would take me, um, which was quite interesting. Actually, it's the first time I, one time my parents would do it in the van. We had a van and I'd open the side door and just kind of hang out the side door and, you know, put the papers. I didn't have to throw them like you see in the paper boy game. You'd put them in the, <coughs> right next to the mailbox, there was a paper box. You'd put them in the box for the people. Um, and one of the times I actually fell out of the van when my mom was driving down the road. It's quite funny. She didn't think so at the time, but it, it was. So with Johnny, on Sunday, September 5th, 1982, in a suburb of West Des Moines, uh, Johnny Gosh, he left home before dawn to begin his paper route. Um, the way he would do it, instead of a bicycle, he had a, a, a wagon. And he would take the wagon, fill up the wagon with the papers, and go walk the route. Um, basically, from everything I could find, typically, his dad would take him and go with him on his route and everything like that. And there's differing stories where some of the stories say that the night before he asked his parents and his dad said yes and then his mom said no. And then for whatever reason, the next morning, he just didn't wake up his dad and he went. Um, his brother saw him when he went to leave for work because um, Johnny's mother um, had two children from a previous marriage. Her first husband died. And then she met Johnny's father, John Gosh. And when they got married, he adopted the old two children, and then they had Johnny. So his older brother went to go to work, saw him in the morning about 5.30ish. And he left, went to work, said Johnny was up, getting ready to go. But apparently he never woke up the dad. So Johnny went by himself. Um, one of the neighbors said he remembers hearing Johnny um, going through the backyard with the, the wagon through his backyard cutting through at about 540 550 so and basically the way he had to do it unlike me where they put it at the end of my driveway for Johnny he had to go there was a, a central spot where they just delivered all the papers and all the paper boys would go to the spot get their papers and then head off to their routes so like I said normally his dad would go with him but he only took the his wagon and his Dotson Gretchen. So that morning, other paper carriers, and it was the Des Moines Register is what he was delivered, reported that they saw Gosh at the paper drop picking up his papers, and pretty much was the last time anybody is known to have seen him. Um, there was another paper boy named Mike, that said he observed Gosh talking to a stocky man in a blue two-toned car near the paper drop. So there was another witness named John Rossi who saw the man in the blue car talking to Gosh and thought something was strange. So Gosh told Rossi that the man was asking for directions and asked Rossi to help. Rossi looked at the plates. Um, he could not recall the plate number, but he you know, said, I keep hoping I'll wake up in the middle of the night and see that number on the license plate. As distinctly as night a day, but it never happened. So he kept hoping that he could try. He even underwent hypnosis, everything else, to try and remember that plate. What he could remember was that plate was from Iowa. So basically what they can kind of figure, he walked north. Um, some witnesses say that the, the car like went up, turned around, and came back. Um, a couple witnesses said that they saw a man step out from the bushes, bushes and follow Johnny. But either way, he went up, 
turned the corner, that's the last anybody really saw him. Once he turned that corner, it's this is where speculation starts to come in. So um, they basically speculated. One, there was a witness that said that, you know, up around that corner, he said he heard a door slam and then sat up, looked out his window and saw a Ford Fairlane, which what everyone else saw, you know, said that they thought they saw uh, speeding away northwards from where Johnny's wagon was found. So once they did, you know, go looking, they found Johnny's wagon basically right by this person's house who said they heard the door slam and saw the car drive away. Um, other people did say they saw the car drive away and speed through a stop sign and take off. So many people believe that this car is the one that took Johnny. So John and Noreen, uh, his parents began receiving phone calls from customers along their son's route, complaining of undelivered papers. So John went out and did a quick search for his son around six. And that's disputed too. I've seen six, I've seen seven. It was somewhere around that time. Um, he found Johnny's wagon pretty quickly, full of newspapers two blocks from their home. Um, this is another spot where there's a little bit of ar the argument. Some people say that the Gosses immediately contacted the police. Others say that uh, Senior actually delivered the papers, then came back, and when Johnny still wasn't back, then they, they called the police. But either way, at some point, they called the police. Um, they reported his disappearance. So... Um, Noreen has been very critical of the police. So is so is John. A lot of people have been very critical of the police and their their slow response to this. Uh, most people say that when she called the police, the police did not show up, which they were like not very far away. Um, did not show up for forty five minutes to even take her statement. And then once they took her statement, basically the police just kept saying, "So." Has he ever ran away before? Has he done this? And they did the typical early 80s, just blame it on running away. He must have ran away. He must have done this. They didn't want to even investigate it. They said, and at that time, the rule, the law was um, they weren't a missing person for 72 hours. And it didn't matter if it was an adult, a child, any of that. None of that mattered. The rule was they weren't a missing person unless they'd been missing for 72 hours. And these police, even though the evidence and everything else really pointed to, you know, a kidnapping or an abduction, um, they wouldn't do anything. They're like, nope, sorry, not can't do anything for 72 hours. Um, in that time, immediately, um, the uh, Goshes got people together, started trying to find and doing their own investigation. Um, Noreen started calling the parents and the kids of other paper out, you know, paper boys to find out, you know, what they saw and if they had any, what they witnessed. So after they came for the initial one, they didn't hear from again for another eight hours. And by that time they had quite a bit of information of, you know, pretty much the whole thing that I just broke it down to you. They had that and a little bit more. And there is a little bit more to this, but like I said, a lot of this becomes very quickly becomes speculation and everything else. One of the witnesses said that the the gentleman they heard him talking to, to my uh, to Johnny a couple of times. 
um, that they stopped once and then Johnny started walking again and then they started talking again. Um, one of the kids, Mike, um, said at one point that uh, Johnny had said, hey, this guy's being kind of weird and it bothers me. I think I'm going to go home. So there was a couple weird things there, you know, different reports, stuff like that. Like I said, initially the police believed that Goss was a runaway. Um, they, there's a lot of, some people say that they changed their statement and suggest that Goss was kidnapped, but that wasn't until, that was a long time. There were still reports where they were like interviewed a year later and they just said his, you know, that Gosh disappeared. They would never would, very rarely did I ever see the police say the word kidnap or abduction. It was just disappearance. So, um, and I, I get why they would say that in some ways because they didn't have any evidence really besides circumstantial evidence of an abduction. So, so they turned up little evidence and arrested no suspects in connection with the case. So there's a lot of things where they talk about too, um, with the police in this one, um, the police captain or chief, I can't remember what he was. Um, he was... He was a, a piece of work. Um, he ended up basically being like forced into retirement not long after this events. Um, and then later was actually arrested for shoplifting. I mean, the, the guy was crazy. Um, his own officers pretty much turned on him about a bunch of things that he did. Um, helping his son get out of, you know, get out of trouble, um, racism, uh, not wanting to do things, coming to work drunk, all sorts of stuff. But in this one here with the goshes, he just really, a lot of the reports he didn't want to do, he didn't do a whole lot. Um, he even would not call the FBI in, um, got in their way. Uh, many reports of him actually harassing the private investigators that the goshes hired and all of that stuff and was adamant until pretty much his retirement. Um, even after that, from some of the stuff that I saw, that this was just a runaway and that everyone was wasting their time. Um, I know when the Goshes first got their pe got people together to go looking for him, um, the sheriff showed up and said, hey, I don't know what you're doing. This is a waste of time. He's a runaway. So he was very adamant it was a runaway, um, which is another whole weird thing on that one, that he would be so adamant that it was a runaway. So, um, yeah just insane it's very weird that's another whole rabbit hole to go down is the the way that the police handled this and i mean i've read a lot of things where police mishandled things this one was this one was insane so um i mean to the point of negligence really on this one in many cases if you really look into the, the how bad the police bungled this it was almost like it was on purpose which we'll get to a little bit later. We'll kind of come up with a few other things. Um, the few months after it, there was a weird, a weird instance. And this is one of those things, like I said, where we start getting into the speculation and some of the very odd things that happened. Um, and like I said, I'm going to kind of gloss over this. Really, this is one um, I could probably do four or five episodes on this, and I'm probably going to touch on it a little bit more when I do the, you know, when either me or Big D does the, the Franklin, you know, cover up and all of that, because I completely forgot about that one until I started doing this episode. Um, yeah, but a few months after that, there was a sighting um, 
where a woman in Tulsa, Oklahoma, said a boy came running up to her in a parking lot and started yelling to her and said, Hey, I'm John Gosh, and I need help. And before she could even do anything, um, two, uh, two men ran up, put him in an arm bar, and basically dragged him away. Um, and supposedly, but I couldn't find anything on like police reports or anything on this one where she went immediately said it called the police said hey this happened they said uh yeah oogie lady um and that was pretty much it so of course there's no report on it because the police didn't believe anything she said um and then which makes it very interesting because some of the reports say she only said hey a boy came up to me and said hey i need help and ran away and it could have been him other ones reports say that she actually said that he said his name Johnny Gosh. Well, months later, he was on America's Most Wanted, um, where they didn't, or I'm not sure it was America's Most Wanted, but it was an episode on John Walsh and his son, who disappeared, Adam Walsh. Um, and at the end of the episode, they played pictures of missing children and all that. And she saw the picture of Johnny Gosh and said, Oh my God, that's the kid I saw in the parking lot. And then she called the police again. That one's documented. The first one's not. So it's kind of one of those things that. You never know, because there's a lot of really weird stuff like that where it does happen. Um, that after a very high-profile thing like this happens, people start talking about it. But really, at the time, before he was on America's Got, or the, the John Walsh thing, um, it wasn't a huge, a huge thing um, nationwide yet. So, I mean... She may have heard the name before because, but who knows? So, yeah, very, very odd. So there was a lot of private investigators who've assisted the Goshes along the way. Um, so a lot. And a few that we'll mention as we go along through here. Um, in 1984, Goshes photograph appeared alongside that of Juanita Lee Estevez on milk cartons across America. So, so they were the second and third of Dr. Children have their plights publicized in that way. The first, like I said, was Eaton Potts, who Eaton Pats, though, from what I understand, was only in New York. So it was the only place where they did his. But, yeah. But uh, Juanita Lee Estevez and Gosh was nationwide. So there's a few... Uh, there's a lot of weirdly weird stuff that goes on with this. Um, a lot of weird characters that start coming through in a lot of this. So, um, a lot of really weird ones. I'm going to kind of like try and go through some of them. Like I said, I don't want to go through all of them because we will be here forever trying to go through all of them because there's a lot, a lot. Um, so I'm going to hit the, the key ones, the top ones, and then kind of go down from there. One of these characters is, is a gentleman named Sam Soda. Um, very interesting name. Um, very odd character in this case, too. Um, with a lot of duplicity. It's very interesting with him. Um, he, he inserted himself in the case in 84, um, approaching Noreen, offering help. But he later says that 
he that Noreen reached out to him. But um, Noreen claims that Sam invited her to his office, um, and he told her there would be a second paperboy kidnapping on the second weekend in August on the south side of Des Moines, and that happened. The, the kidnapping did. The hard part is, this is what Noreen says. Supposedly there was a, she, she recorded it, but nobody, as far as I've been able to find, has heard or seen the recording. Supposedly she took it to the, the police. They wanted nothing to do with it. There was one, like, newspaper person who I said, who, who said that he heard it, but nobody else has ever heard it. And she's never really, from what I could find, presented the tape to anyone of Sam Soda saying that this is going to happen. Um, when asked why or how he knew this was going to happen, it basically comes out that uh, he uh, he says anyway that he had uh, an inside uh, an informant. But yeah, so on that second weekend, and this is twenty three months after, almost two years to you know, just short of two years after. Um. Johnny, then Ed Eugene Martin disappears, another paper boy. Um, Sam Soda was um, a big part of um, exposing a pedophile that was at the Des Moines Register named Frank Sequoia. Um, though he did face some controversy over claims he had falsely presented himself as a law enforcement officer and there's no apparent connection to the Gosh or Martin cases. Um, yeah. So Noreen became suspicious of Sam for seeming to know too much about the case. And the police began monitoring him, at which point the Gosh started receiving threats and harassment. He was a person of interest for a number of years, but could never make anything stick. So, so he was an interesting character that popped up. Um, along with him, there was another one that popped up um that said he was part of the cia that wasn't that ended up being another pedophile and that's the hard part about a lot of this a lot of these people end up they, they keep finding like these pedophiles literally just keep popping out from me in the popping out of the woods they keep finding these people um and it almost feels like in some ways like this sam soda was like oh hey here's this you know, Frank Sicoria, he's a pedophile. Almost in a way to say, hey, look, I helped you. Let me, you know, let me more into this. It gets very weird. So, so there's some other suspicious behavior by uh, Sam Soda. So from Noreen. So though her then husband was co-author with her on a 1991 letter confirming that they had viewed Sam as a suspect for years. So there's a lot of independent information about Sam that paints him in a very suspect light. So while working as a PI, he ran an organization called Stolen Children, or reported it every day, reporting meant to raise awareness about child exploitation. At some of these meetings, he showed real child pornography to his audience that included police officers, and he claimed on Faded Out that first assistant Polk County attorney Ron Wheeler told Sam I should tell you to stop, and said gave Sam his blessing to continue. Wheeler later represented Sam in private practice in 93 on charge of beating his teenage stepson, um, in his faded out interview, Sam repeatedly tried to present himself as a misunderstood hero of the case. But he had a lot of bizarre things in this and a lot of contradictions. 
So, very interesting character. Um, definitely looking into Sam Soda more. He is very, very, very odd. So, um, there's a few others that pop up. Wilbur, Wilbur Milhouse, who was a, another pedophile that worked at the Des Moines Register. Um, a lot of really weird stuff like that. And like I said, they, they, they just kept kind of, you know, pedophiles kept like just popping out of nowhere. And it's the weirdest thing. Um, where this case really, there's a lot of weird things. Um, so from Noreen's account, there's also a time that besides the, um, the him running up to the lady, there's also another one. Another fraud case in 85, Noreen Goss received a letter from Robert Herman Meyer, um, 19 of Saginaw, Michigan. The letter had been signed Samuel Forbes, Dakota. Um, in the letter, Meyer stated that he was a guard in a motorcycle club when Gosh's son disappeared in September 1982. According to Meyer, Gosh's son was taken as part of a large child slavery ring operated by that club. According to the FBI, Meyer requested from and received $11,000 from the Goshes. Meyer additionally requested a hundred grand more along with promise to return their son. So uh, he was arrested in Buffalo at the Canadian border by FBI agents and was later charged with fraud by wire. Uh, the letter Meyer wrote had stated that Gosh's son was sold to a man whom Wire identified as a high-level drug dealer residing in Mexico City. Despite the accusation of fraud, Noreen Gosh reportedly believed Meyer at his word and later criticized the FBI, stating that the arrest warrant against Meyer destroyed her and her husband John's credibility with anyone who would take the couple's offer to pay ransom for their boy. So, um, there was a lot of that. You know, of course you get that. When something like this happens, you get a lot of the, the horrible people that pop out of the woodwork, um, unfortunately. So, like I said, there was a couple cases that were similar. So, August 12th, 84, like we said, Eugene Martin, who was another paper boy, disappeared under similar circumstances. He disappeared while delivering newspapers on the south side of Des Moines. There was Mark James Warren Allen, who was 13, told his mother he was going to walk to a friend's house across the street on March 29th, 1986, the day before Easter. However, he never made it to the neighbor's house and hasn't been seen since. So... Allen was first believed to be the third Iowa paperboy to go missing in the 80s based on earlier media reports, but he was never a paperboy. So, but, you know, they tried. But they, they, he still could be part of the same thing, but who knows. So, but they were never able to prove a connection between the three cases. So, but, like I said, she said she was warned of the, you know, Noreen was warned of the abduction, um, of Eugene Martin by Sam Soda, which, like I said, gets so weird. <laughs> so weird. Um, this is a very interesting... This is one, I mean, definitely go down... I mean, you, you got to go down this rabbit hole. It gets very, very interesting. So, um, from Noreen's view and Noreen's account, so according to Noreen Gosh, one morning in March of 1997... So this is years, years later. Um, she was awake, awakened around 2.30 a.m. by a knock at her apartment door. Um, and it wasn't, from what she says, I mean, of course, it's 2.30 in the a.m. Who answers their door? Um, it wasn't just a, a, a you know, little knock. It was a very persistent, like, knock, 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 and just kept knocking. Um, the weird thing about this, though, is a lot of people leave out the fact that supposedly within a few weeks before this, she was on a talk show 
and she basically flat out told like on the talk show that hey I don't live at the old house anymore I have a new house um you know her and her husband are divorced now blah 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 and she's like Johnny if you ever want to come home this is where I am and literally gave her number or her her address out to the world so who knows but uh waiting outside supposedly was Johnny who is now 27 years old Accompanied by an unidentified man. Some stories say an unidentified man. Some people say that it was actually a younger boy. So, weird things there. Um, Noreen said she immediately recognized her son, who opened his shirt to reveal a birthmark on his chest, which he did have, um, which was very, you know, one of the, the, the marks that he had that um, apparently, supposedly, most people didn't know about. It wasn't highly advertised till later. Um, they talked for about an hour and a half. Um, there was another man, like she said, but I, she had no idea who the person was. Johnny would look over to the other person for approval to speak. Um, he didn't say where he, he is living or where he was going. So, um, and this is weird too, because she didn't tell, say this like right when it happened. It wasn't until a couple of years later under oath for something else. And she was asked if she'd ever seen her son. And apparently she felt that she couldn't lie. So she, she mentioned this. But which brings up a lot of questions of why didn't she bring this up before? Why didn't she do that? Why would you bring it up now and not just keep it a secret at that point? It's very, there's a lot of things in this where you're like, huh? So, yeah. So in a 2005 interview, Goss said that night he came here. He was wearing jeans and a shirt and a coat on because it was March. It was cold and his hair was long. It was shoulder length and it was straight and dyed black. After the visit, she had the FBI create a picture she says looked like Johnny. But this wasn't for a couple of years, like I said, that she even admitted this happened. Um, for me, I'll be honest, this is something I don't... If this happened, I think one of two things. Either it was someone playing tricks, or this is one of those things where she dreamt it. And it was just so real. She wanted it to be real so bad, she believes it. Or it does seem like every once in a while when the... the it becomes less and less people talking about this, something like this will happen where all of a sudden it puts it back into, you know, into the world. Like, oh my God, here's all this stuff on, you know, Johnny Gosh, this happened. And now it's suddenly a story again and it becomes, you know, relevant and people start looking at it. So not saying anything there, not saying that she's doing it on purpose, just saying that is a possibility. So Noreen self-published a book in 2000 titled Why Johnny Can't Come Home. The book presents her understanding of what her son went through based on the original research of various private investigators and her son's visit. On September 1st, 2006, Gosh reported that she found photographs left at her front door, some of which she posted on her website. One color photo shows three boys bound and gagged. Which is a very interesting one because that one, I have seen an article where it says there was a Florida detective that came forward and said that that was a picture that had surfaced in Florida at one point. It had been investigated and supposedly, it doesn't make it sound any better, but this was three boys that willingly let themselves be tied up by a neighbor to play a game to see if they can untie themselves. That sounds creepy as hell too, but... Um, but 
that supposedly happened. This is another one of those speculation things that supposedly happened, but I, I can find nothing on who this detective was or any documentation of anything of him coming forward. It's just one of those things that people say, oh yeah, this is this is the explanation of that picture. Where? <laughs> so, yeah. Um, yeah, so very interesting. Um, there's a black and white photo of a 12-year-old Johnny, supposedly, with his mouth gagged, his hands and feet tied, an apparent human brand on his shoulder. And then a third photo shows a man possibly dead who may have something tied around his neck. And then Noreen stated the man was one of the perpetrators who molested her son. Um, she later said that the first two photos had originated on a website featuring child pornography. So, very interesting. So, like I said, here's, here's where they say that there was a letter mailed to the Des Moines police. So, gentlemen, someone has played a reprehensible joke on a grieving mother. The photo in question is not of her son, but of three boys in Tampa. Um, about 1979-1980, challenging each other to an escape contest. There's an investigation concerning that picture made by the Hillsborough County Sheriff's Office. No charges were filed and no wrongdoing was established. The lead detective on the case was named Zelva. This allegation should be easy enough to check out. So Nelson Zalva, who worked for the Hillsborough County Sheriff's Office in the 70s, said the details of the letter were true and adds that he also investigated the black and white in 78 or 79 before Gosh's disappearance. I interviewed the kids and they said there was no coercion or touching. I could never prove of crimes, Zalva said. So when asked for proof that this was indeed the same photo from the investigation nearly three decades prior, Zalva could provide, could not provide anything. So that's another one of those ones that he, um, just weird, just another weird one, um, that happened very weird. Um, another one that basically, and this is where that Franklin cover up or the Franklin, you know, like I said, that we're going to have to get into where it starts getting very weird. So. In 1981 or in 89, there was a 21-year-old named Paul A. Bonacci um, who told his attorney, John DeCamp, that he'd been abducted into a sex ring with Gosh as a teenager and was to participate in Gosh's kidnapping. John DeCamp met with Bonacci and believed he was telling the truth. Noreen later met him and said she told her things he could only know from talking with his son um this is one that's interesting though because actually what a lot of people don't know when he first mentioned this and john DeCamp reached out to the family he didn't get noreen he got john senior john didn't want to get his wife all worked up so he went up met with um DeCamp and benisi and talked to him got everything, you know, found out some stuff, um, and did not actually tell Noreen for a while. And a lot of people think it wasn't even John that told Noreen. Um, they, John hired a private investigator to try and figure out if what, you know, Bonisi was saying was real. So Noreen, when she talked to him later, um, he told her that Johnny had a birthmark on his chest and a scar on his tongue and a burn scar on his lower leg. So, 
Um, there had been a description of the birthmark widely circulated, but the scars had not been made public. So that was something that he would not have found, should not have been able to find that way. Um, he also described that Johnny had a stammer when he was upset, which was another thing that wasn't, you know, widely circulated. Um, but the FBI and local police do not believe that Manisi is a credible witness in the case and have not interviewed him. So his siblings told police he was at home when Gosh was abducted. So it's another one of those weird things where it comes in. Um, comes into this case, and like I said, I'm not going to go far into Bunisi at the moment. Because um, I think I'm going to talk to, we'll talk about him more. Because he really kind of goes into that, the Franklin cover-up. Which does go into with Johnny of whether or not he was, you know, anything that happened. So what Bunisi said is... In which I'm probably pronouncing that wrong, but I, I apologize if anyone who listened to this long enough know I don't pronounce any names correctly. It's just it's one of those things my brain doesn't quite work that way sometimes. Um, but what he stated happened was he had been you know in the the, the ring for a while because um, he's not much older than Johnny. I think he's he was only a year or two older than Johnny, um, so he'd been in the ring for a little bit, but he was what you kind of call used goods because he'd been in there for a while. People had been molesting him and doing things to him and all that. Um, and what they would do, they would find boys or girls, either one kidnap them and then sell them to these, to these buyers. And what they do is try and find that, you know, the ones that the buyers wanted would say, Hey, this is what I'm looking for. Well, what Johnny was, was new. He was new because he hadn't been abducted yet. Nothing had happened to him. He hadn't been molested yet. And that's what some of these people wanted. They wanted the the, the, the people who hadn't been molested yet. That's what they were looking for. So they kidnapped Johnny. Um, according to Ben, uh, we'll call him Paul so I don't mess it up. According to Paul, um, he was in that car that everyone saw. Um, that basically what happened when they, they heard the door slam, one of the guys grabbed Johnny, pulled him into the car, and Paul's job was to basically chloroform and hold him down and keep him quiet. Then they drove down the street a little ways. There was another person who, big shock, um, according to Paul, was Sam Soda. They met him. He he had a, and he was the one that put, told them about uh johnny um so yeah he has a whole thing in this that they basically kidnapped him took him away and he was sold off to someone in colorado named the colonel um and some reports say the colonel some people say it's it's a different person who knows because it's you know you don't know um the colonel a lot of people think when he's talking about the colonel they're talking about Michael Aquino. So he comes back into this. Um, that's where he came into this whole story. And then from there, um, basically, yeah, everything else that we, we've kind of talked about with Johnny. So nobody really knows. There's a couple other things that pop up with him, um, with Johnny, of uh, who he, he could have been. Um, stuff like that. Like I said, he was on the one of the first people on the, the milk carton. 
couple other crazy things where they they thought it might have been Johnny in certain places. Uh, there was an interesting one. This was just a weird coincidence. Um, just a bizarre, like almost. Uh, in 1990, so uh, Noreen Gosh got the shock of her life. Um, according to the Los Angeles Times, there was a body of John E. Gosh was recovered in a dumped in a ditch in Mexico. Johnny Gosh was John D. Gosh. So it just happened to be someone with the same name. Um, it was just a weird coincidence. So they confirmed the identity of the dead man. Uh, they found was just a coincidence, including including the weird fact that John Gosh, both of them, their birthdays were only two weeks apart. So uh, they ultimately discovered, confirmed that John Gosh found in Mexico was from a Gosh family from Washington State that had been adopted in 1980 and just happened to give him the, the eerily simil, similar name. So, But, I mean, it's John. John is a similar name. It's like Mike or James or anything like that. It's a very similar name. Very common name. Um, what's interesting, just a week before John Gosh's body was found, Des Moines police were in Mexico investigating a sighting not of Johnny Gosh, but of Eugene Martin, the other paperboy that went missing. So, just one of those really weird, you know, unbelievable coincidences. Um... It would have been a relief, though. I mean, even, you know, Noreen, Noreen commented later, I feel terrible. The whole coincidence is just unbelievable. It would be such a relief to have it over. I'd rather have the bad news now rather than later. So just just horrible things. Um, like I said, there was the weird, you know, weird fraud cases, stuff like that. Um there was a couple other weird things, like I said. Um, another one, 1985. A woman in Sioux City, Iowa, went to a grocery store, paid in cash, got some change back, and in that change was a dollar bill with a message on it that says, I am alive, Johnny Gosh. So, easy enough. I mean, it's one of those weird things, though, but they got the paper. Um, they, they went through and actually... Um, handwriting analysis, three different handwriting analysis, uh, people said that it could be Johnny. But it's one of those things, I'll be honest, I'm not a big believer in handwriting analysis, but they said it could have been him. Um, the only thing is, is that really, I mean, who knows when he could have wrote it on there. That dollar had been in circulation since 1974. So, who knows? Did he write it, like, if he, if he wrote it, was it the day after he got abducted, or was it the day before they found it? No one knows. So, just one of those weird, weird coincidences. Um, so, like I said, there was Paul, Paul stuff. Um, that's very weird. Very weird. Um, there was another one where Paul did make a comment where he said something about um, they were at a, a, a Colorado restaurant. And while they're in the restaurant... Um, uh, Johnny and one of the other boys were like painting their nails for some weird reason. Um, and they wrote on the wall of the bathroom of the restaurant. And that had was an interesting one because someone had seen and reported at a restaurant in Colorado 
um, someone had written on the wall and read uh, nail polish Johnny was here Johnny Gosh was here so so like I said 1997 she got the visitor um, but she didn't say a whole lot she basically just said they talked for an hour and a half and he didn't say where he was living or where he was going um, there was the photos then there's another weird one that Jeff Gannon um, which I don't know if you guys have ever heard so um, 2008 Randy Fair did a profile piece on Jeff Gannon who was a controversial White House reporter um, who had actually been born as James Guckert. Um, and then he changed his name to Jeff Gannon. I mean, if your last name was Guckert, I think I'd change my name too. He'd gone from being a male escort, an auto repair shop bookkeeper, to a correspondent at the White House, which nobody knows how. It just kind of happened. So there was a lot of questions, obviously. So there was also a huge conspiracy that suggested that Gannon was actually Johnny Gosh. So, so the theory essentially says that Noreen Gosh was correct insisting that her son had been kidnapped into a pedophilia ring and that organization was based in Washington, D.C. As he grew up, he was transferred in the care of the CIA, where he was first brainwashed, then retrained to be an escort. From there, he was given a new identity as Jeff Gannon and sent to the White House. I don't know. That seems a little like they're reaching on that one. So, especially too, if you really think about it, they're nowhere near the same age. Um, Guckert or Gannon or whatever you want to call him would have been like 10 years older than what Gosh was. So, um, the only real like thing is they have the same initials. Um... Very interesting. Like I said, go down the rabbit hole. There's still a few other things that I kind of glossed over and didn't go into, but um, he did, his disappearance did change a lot of things, changed how we deal with kidnappings. So um, he's still missing, So, but it's had a long lasting impact on the nation. A lot of people think this is where we, st but his and a few of the others was where we started with a stranger danger. So, um, which a lot of people actually think it's a bad thing that we believe so much in the stranger danger because nine times out of ten, it's someone they know that does it to them. It's not always the strangers. I mean, but I don't see how it's bad, though. I mean, I don't think we need to talk to strangers either. I think they just focus too hard on the fact that, you know, when I was growing up, you might pretty much believe that every time you went out that there was going to be some random creepy dude in a mystery you know, the mystery machine van's going to pop out of nowhere and get me. I mean, Fred was the one that scared the crap out of me the most. Shaggy, I thought, just wanted to have fun. But, I mean, we had that whole belief that there was someone out there in a van that was going to take us. Um, which, I mean, it was a possibility, I guess. But it was, was more likely that someone close to us was going to hurt us. Um, very weird. So, so like I said, um, the Gosh family was forced to take matters in their own hands. Noreen and John pushed for changes in the way law enforcement dealt with kidnappings. And it made a huge difference. At the time Johnny went missing, only about 66% of children who were kidnapped were found and returned. In 2017, the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children said that had risen to around 98%. So, Robert Laurie, who's the vice president of the you know Center for Missing and Exploited Children, so what happened with Johnny Goss is what happened. Open the doors for the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. 
So knowing Gosh in particular has been seen as hugely controversial, especially in regard to her determination that her son of kidna- was kidnapped into a child sex ring. She says, however, you show me somebody who isn't a little controversial when it comes to making positive changes, and I'll show you someone who's never done a damn thing in their life. So, so Johnny Gosh's Little Red Wagon still goes on display fairly regularly in Iowa. Um, it was at the State Fair in 2017, reminded not only of the questions that still surround us, his disappearance, but as a reminder of all the lost, missing, abducted, and exploited children still in danger. So that's that's got to be the biggest thing there. Um, it was a mother looking for a child. Noreen did a lot to make some changes. Um, the whole sex ring thing, I will, like I said, um, I kind of touched on it a little bit here. Probably not the right words when we're talking about that horrible thing. But um, I'll talk more about the whole sex ring idea once we talk about the Franklin cover-up. Um, there is a lot of belief that he was sold into sex slavery, stuff like that. But like I said, a lot of this is speculation. There's no evidence. The hardest part with this whole case and what makes it so weird and so frustrating is really, besides the fact that we know he came, went disappeared, you know, on September 5th, 1982, that's pretty much where the facts end. Everything else is speculation. Everything else is possibility. There's no evidence beyond that. I, I hope that someday we find out what happened to him. And I am, I mean, I hope he's out there, you know, and got away from it all and is living a happy life. I mean, I really do. I hope. Um, but if even a small section, a small piece of what Noreen thinks happened to him, happened to him, um, he's going to need a lot of help and a lot of, to, to get away from that. Um, like I said, I don't know really what happened with Noreen, um, and what she said, if it was right, wrong, whatever. Um, if he really was there, uh, I kind of have questions on that one, but it's definitely asks a lot of questions and really goes in that whole idea of what we talked last week about, you know, Michael Aquino and that kind of sex trafficking and everything else that he was accused of. And, you know, his, the, the, the pedophile ring that he may have been running was Johnny Gosh part of that? Was he part of the Franklin scandal? Was there a Franklin, Franklin scandal? We'll talk about that one soon. Um, definitely all very interesting things look go down the rabbit hole go in and talk about look at this one look into this understand you know where a lot of the the fear came from you know where all of a sudden just he just was suddenly gone very creepy very scary um definitely one that you should look at this is this is one of the ones that there's so much more to it, but like I said, you can get lost on these rabbit holes with this one so quickly. So that's one of the reasons why I kind of chose to gloss over a lot of this, um, to get you thinking, to get you to understand there's so much more to this. Look into it, research it. Let me know what your thoughts are. Thank you for listening. We'll talk to you later.